I'd like to take a little from uh, something he was mentioning this uh, morning when he talked about the awakening of the Buddha. He mentioned that poem uh, about, in a way, the awakening being of seeing very clearly, dependent origination. But in the poem, what the Buddha was saying was that as part of the effect of seeing that dependent origination, that in a way there was that freedom from attachment. And often one talks about freedom from attachment and sometimes I feel that people are not so clear because often I think when people talk of freedom from attachment there is this feeling but then would not this lead to just be indifference or to just kind of be really removed from the world. And also in this afternoon, the discussion, we were talking about free will. And Stephen was saying that actually in the experience of meditation itself, it's at the level of contact in the 12 legs, contact and feeling, that in a way there was the freedom of choice. And so that's what I like to look at, in a way today, about this moment And I think this meditation retreat is very much about, in a way, becoming aware of the moment where we can have a choice. Because I think in daily life, generally, we are, in a way, too caught up in things and very things that happen to actually have the time to see that, yes, there is a moment. And to me, the meditative practice, which helps us to be more stable and open, actually help us to see this not only during this retreat, but also in our daily life. How can we have the stability and the openness of that? We can see that moment of contact, of feeling, and see that actually we have a choice. I don't have to do what I do all the time. Maybe I can do something different. And, and so, in a way, personally, I would rather talk, instead of freedom from attachment or even freedom from grasping, seeing that freedom from grasping would actually give us what I would call creative engagement. Because often we have the feeling if we not attach, then nothing matters. When actually, I think, It is something else that we develop. We open up the space for a creative engagement on contact instead of maybe more a blind reaction. Because as the Buddha was saying, things arise and things cease. I mean, this is very much what it is about. So in a way, when something arises, Do we see that arising? This is a question. Often we actually get caught. In the, straight away we get caught in the arising. And so we don't have the choice, I think, often in the seizing or in being able to be with it differently. So in a way, I think in the being with differently, often the seizing actually happens. And there is often the freedom in that. So in a way, looking at that, as that arising, that contact, and what happened when we grasp, and what happened if we, instead of grasping, we were to creatively engage with what we come in contact with. And in a way, often I think what happens when we come in contact and we grasp, generally we have exaggeration and proliferation. But I think when we have creative engagement, in a way there is more. There is no exaggeration and no proliferation, but you still encounter the thing. You have not disappeared, the thing has not disappeared, the event or the experience has not disappeared. But there is a different encounter. And so in a way maybe during the time you're on this retreat, exploring that contact, that kind of experience of contact throughout the day. So not just in the meditation, but also whatever happens. So first looking at the process of grasping, 
so that we can, in a way, what is it we are dealing with? What is this grasping? How does it happen? And I think when there is grasping, generally, together, I mean, that's part of the grasping process, there is identification. I, me, mine. I am seeing this. I am experiencing this. This is happening to me. This is mine. I think this is the first thing that happens. There is this identification, and through that identification together, there is what I would call a solidification, when we grasp at something. We solidify ourselves around it. And through that, in a way, we limit ourselves to what we grasp at. And I think this is very important to see that, to see that when we grasp, we actually are limited by what we grasp at. And to me, this is, in a way, the main problem with grasping, is the fact that we reduce ourselves to just one of the contact we have in the moment. And through that, in a way, we stop any potential from being able to arise, any creative potential. Because by grasping at something, we hold on to it, and then we stuck with it. And by being stuck with it, in a way, we magnify it. And so when you have a problem, in a way, that's why it feels like you have a problem forever after. That's why we permanentize, because we exaggerate. But we exaggerate because we hold on to something in a specific way. And it seems to me that if we instead were to creatively engage upon contact with this stability and openness, then there can be movement, then there can be no flexibility, there can be different way to encounter whatever comes towards us or within us. So first I'd like to go through the senses, to look at contact through the senses. That in a way, we come, we see, we have eyes, we see. And so in a way, we, we come in contact with whatever we see. And what do we do? what do we do when we see something? For example, if you are the washer-upper, and you come to the big pile of plates. And if you encounter a plate which is full of leftovers, which have not been very well scraped, do you encounter it in the same way that you would encounter a plate somebody has deposited with totally cleaned, very nicely scraped? Or do you go into exaggeration. Oh, really, you know, this person, they always leave all their rubbish. Or, and they're wasting and whatever. Or, you know, oh, look at the food they waste and proliferation. Exaggeration makes the thing bigger than it is. And proliferation makes kind of like you go from this one plate to actually, you know, kind of the whole ecology of the universe. So whatever it is, you kind of... It means, it's interesting. I'm not saying one should not be worried about ecology, but it's interesting to go from one plate to something which is much further from that one plate. And actually what is required of you, in a way, in the contact as a washer-upper, is to clean the plate. <laughs> but what do we do? And to me, this is very interesting when we see something that we like or we see something that we dislike. What do we do? Very quickly we grasp, and through that we exaggerate, or we proliferate. Or what it would, would it mean to creatively engage with the plate, or with the toilet? Because I presume here too, you have, some of you have to clean the toilet. And again, what do you do? With smell, with dirt, with possibly certain brown forms existing in the <laughs> toilet bowl. Because that, would, that was my uh, big fear. When I was a house cleaner for 10 years in my younger days, that would be always my fear, that you know, there would be a big brown turd in the toilet. <laughs> I was always kind of coming to the toilet, a little tense. You know. <laughs> Are they going to be one of those? And in a way, what I was doing is exaggerating. I was exaggerating, in a way, the dreadfulness of that. 
Until one day, I was uh, doing meditation, but still had to do kind of some cleaning. And I go down, and I open the, the kind of the, the thing, the cover, and there was a big one. <laughs> and I looked at it. <laughs> and I saw that it was just a fall. So it had a reason as a fall, but also it was going to cease because I had to flush the toilet anyway as part of my job. So to see that the creative engagement is to, not to see it's not there, but to see it is there. And in a way to creatively engage and adequately deal with the situation. So in a way to see the difference when we have this grasping and that exaggeration, then often you have this tension. And I think that's why often we have tension in our life, because we grasp. And that generally puts up in tension because of the exaggeration, the proliferation. Well, I think the creative engagement would make us see, oh, what is this? What do I need to do? How do I need to deal with this? Or if you have some pleasant form, you see something very pleasant. Like uh, seemingly there is a cherry tree in the garden over there, but I also saw a little cherry tree over there in the orchard. And if you love cherry, you might think, ooh, you know, I want one of those. Then you might think, well, you know, if I... If I take it, then everybody take it, then there is no, not enough cherry for everybody, or whatever. Again, proliferation. Or you could just see, there are cherries, and they're just there. And they're not ripe yet, so anyway, you can't have them. <laughs> but in a way, to see, what, what do we do? What do we do with kind of just seeing something that is pleasant? Can we just see it as it is, in a way, enjoying that there is a tree with cherry in England. I think this is great. <laughs> and so in a way to see just the form as it is and not necessarily have to do something with it or if it's necessary to do it. But also what I think is interesting with uh, visual contact is to become aware of what I would call the double vision that often we go about our life with a double vision. We see what is there, and next to it we see what we want to be there. So we want possibly, I don't know, a better house, a better car. For Stephen, it could be a better lawn. Because in France, it's very hard to have a really nice lawn. You know, green and all that is very difficult. It's only like that for about two weeks in the spring when it really rains. And now the lawn is going to turn very yellow. And I can see Stephen looking at this lawn. And I can see in a way he sees two lawns. One which could be an English lawn. And a French lawn, which is a little different. And in a way, when we try to make it into a French lawn, into an English lawn, it, we try with seeds and all kinds of things. And we see it is kind of endless. It's kind of, it doesn't work. It's not possible. And in a way, now we have to engage with this French law. What does it mean to have a law in France? You know, that it's not, like in England, there is not so much rain. So just to be with it as it is and to save water, not by trying to water it all the time. And just it's yellow. That's the way it looks in summer. And then it gets a little greener later on. But in a way, to see, to me, this is often, we create a lot of tension in our life and a lot of frustration with that double vision of things, to kind of notice. Sometimes we see ourselves, sometimes we see others, sometimes we see situations, and to see that this two, double vision is problematic. Because in a way we're grasping at something that is not there. I mean that you grasp at something that is there, I can understand. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. But to grasp at something that is not there is in a way adding something more suffering to the experience. Then there are sounds. There are sounds in the room. There are sounds outside. And tomorrow I will introduce sounds as an object of uh, meditation, of awareness. 
and to really try to work with that contact. When we hear a sound inside the room, somebody might cough, somebody might sneeze, blow their nose, move, whatever it is. How are we with that sound? Are we in a way grasping at the sound and judging it? Or are we just with the sound as it is? And to me, that's part of the practice of creative engagement on a retreat, of course, is when we hear a sound to actually not name it. But can we hear the sound just as a sound without representing it to ourselves? Just a sound, a kind of a, a sound wave in the moment. Can we be with that, you know, with the, the experience as it is without naming it? Because often, as soon as we name it, generally we like it, we don't like it, and we kind of again have this exaggeration, proliferation. In daily life, what I found is interesting is mobile phone nowadays. You walk down the street and you think you are alone in the world, though there is lots of people around you, and suddenly somebody is talking to you. And you think, ah, oh, there's somebody I know here. And then you realize you don't know anybody, it's just somebody talking on the phone. And I find that very interesting at the level of contact. Because you hear a voice which normally means somebody is talking to me. But actually it is not so. They're talking to somebody who is miles away. And to look at that contact, what do we do? To kind of, what do we do with these sounds that are around us? People talking on the phone or whatever it is. How can we creatively engage in a way with this new mode of communication, new mode of generating sounds around us. This is one of the favorite activity of Stephen, but he can't not do it so much anymore. This is to go in the A compartment in a train when you're not supposed to have any mobile phone. And as soon as he sees somebody, he waits for them. I can see. He waits for them. This is his you know, favorite activity. He jumps and it's not very bodyist or creatively engaged but this is interesting you know this kind of grasping because this is a new thing this is a new sound that is around us what do we do with sound what do we do with this mobile phone in a way how can we creatively engage with that technology another thing which is interesting here because tomorrow I will introduce sound is the fact actually like this afternoon it was so silent. It was so silent. And so actually, this is what is a little difficult. I, you know, I tell you to listen to sounds. And actually what you end up doing is listening most of the time to silence. And again, I find that an interesting training. Because sometimes we love silence, and sometimes we don't like silence whatsoever. We want sound. We want to hear something. We want noise, we want activity, because noise means activity, means life. And I think it's interesting when we sit in meditation for a whole day, just listening to silence, when there is not much going on, and what it means to be focused of not much going on, and to be with that. Because often what we do is we associate it with boredom. If there is silence, if nothing happens, very quickly we think, this is boring. Nothing is happening. Even the meditation, what can I focus on? And I would say focus on the silence. How could you creatively engage with sounds? But how also can you creatively engage with silence? With there being no sound, you know, with nothing happening at that level in this moment. Also words, words are sound. So in a way, at this moment we, you are in silence most of the time, so it's true you can hear us. And then what you can, you can do is kind of see when we speak, the word we use. What do you do with this? How, you, how are you in contact with them? Are you exaggerating or does it lead to proliferation? Or can you just listen? And when you leave the room, just let it be. 
just present to that arising and also present to the seizing. Well, I think often we try to remember talks, but I think generally they come and they go. Then you can't remember anything of it. But that's okay. I don't think we have to grasp at them in any way. They just appear, they just disappear. But you notice, what do we do when we hear words? And how we, how we kind of, you know, agree, disagree, or why do they say this, and they could have said it this way once, twice. Once I had this, I was doing a retreat in Scotland long ago, and in an interview, one fellow came and told me, I don't like the sound of your voice. <laughs> you know, because I could see it was like all crunched at the back of the room. And I said, well, you don't have to listen to it. You know, you don't have to come. I mean, if you, if you cannot stand it, you know, don't come. You're not obliged to whatsoever. And he still continued to come. What could I say? <laughs> and all the time, there was a lady who... That, that was very interesting. She came to me and said, I don't, as a Buddhist, I feel you should not say this word. And I said, what's the word? And the word is argue. You should not say, I argue. That's not good as a Buddhist. You know, you're supposed to be, you know, not, no war, you know, peaceful, you know. I said, all right. What, what else can I do? So that's why now I said, it is interesting. And I kind of, I suggest, you know, or whatever it is, but I don't use the word. But it's interesting for me to see how can I, in a way, what kind of word can I use? What kind of effect does it have? And also for the other people who listen, how do I take this? How do I come in contact when I listen to a word? Then there are tastes. And taste, this is again an interesting experience for you at lunchtime, especially, but also possibly at breakfast or at uh, dinner, to kind of, you know, you see the color of the food, and then there is a taste of the food. And what is interesting is very quickly you have the contact with what you see, also what you smell, and then there is a feeling. Mm, this looks good. And then you put generally a little more. <laughs> and then you sit down and you start to eat it, and it really don't taste like you thought it would. And you think, how am I going to get rid of this? without anybody seeing it. Maybe that's a person with a plate. <laughs> but it's interesting to notice how do I come into contact with what I taste? The contact with the taste itself and then so quickly the pleasant. I'm pleasant and so quickly I don't want it, I want it, I want more. So to see how we've tasted very quickly Either we exaggerate, God, that tastes awful. Or we proliferate, mmm, this is really nice, you know, and then you go on and on with it. And in a way, can we be with the taste? Again, creatively engaging with it, just tasting it, knowing it, eating it. And of course, if it's not good for our stomach, then not eating it or whatever. But Calvin, again, what does it mean? not to grasp at the taste. And that was the experience I had in New Mexico. I was in New Mexico recently, and there were these trees. I love cherries. And there were these trees with cherries. And so I thought, well, you know, it's not my center, and da-da-da. You know, and then finally I was curious, so I tried one of these cherries. Finally I kind of picked one, and I put it in my mouth. And it was bitter. <laughs> and then it was very easy not to grasp at the cherry whatsoever. But it's interesting that, you know, you see something, then you taste it, and then what do you do with that? With the taste, what is interesting, what it shows us is what we do with what I would call newness. And that's what you can... I, again, in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, in an Italian restaurant, I have eaten the best, best, best polenta I ever had. And I love polenta. And it's called Mia. And it really, really was very nice. Very nice. I enjoyed that polenta. I still think about it. <laughs> Possibly a bit of grasping here. But this is a question. 
if I had gone the next day to the same restaurant and had the same polenta, would it have been such an amazing experience? Possibly not. Because the first time around, it is new. The second time around, it is not new anymore. So actually, we will have often a very different experience. So to see how sometimes we don't just grasp at the object itself, but we grasp at the newness of the experience, and then we try to repeat it. So we endlessly, in a way, chasing, chasing after new experience. So in a way, to notice that sometimes, I think food can show us that quite clearly, but also, of course, we can see sometimes that with objects. Then there is smell. And again, in a way, to see when there is an unpleasant smell, what do we do? You know, if we go, if somebody has uh, done a big something in the toilet and we go after, it's a little kind of, you know, certain odor, what do we do? And it's interesting, if it's us, we don't mind. If it's somebody else, we do. But it's interesting, and you are all of you here, so you can, how, how can I be in contact with that smell? Or if it's a nice smell, a nice fragrance, yeah, now there are a few trees who are quite fragrant, and you pass, mm, this is very nice. Can we just enjoy it as it is as we pass? Because I think creative engagement is not to enjoy something, <coughs> but to appreciate it and then to let it be. Instead of kind of, you know, continuously coming back to that tree, kind of doing standing meditation in front of it. But in a way, can we have that? To me, in the creative engagement, there is movement. In the grasping, there is stasis. There is this kind of, in a way, this stopping of life moving. Because in a way, we continuously in contact. And often what we do by grasping is stopping ourselves from, in a way, having further contact of a different nature. I think it's important to see often how we obstruct ourselves our experience through the grasping. Then there is sensation. There is sensation. Again, we come into contact. This is, I think, important to see. A sensation arises. We come into contact with a sensation. It's pleasant, it's unpleasant, it's neutral. What do we do with that? Do we exaggerate? Do we proliferate with it? Or do we just creatively engage with the sensation in the moment. And I think we can, in a way, at the moment, which is extremely rare in England, we can play with heat. You know, I mean, you go outside and it's hot, really hot. I even thought I needed a hat today. This is extremely rare in England. And, in a way, what do we do with this heat? How, I mean, it doesn't mean you have to stand in the heat for 10 minutes, really know the creative engagement and contact. But as you are in the heat, how can we creatively engage with it? Not proliferate, not exaggerate. How can we engage with being in the cool? So again, just the sensation. How are we sensation? Then there are thoughts. And again, we come into contact with thought. Often we, we think thought are so much present in our head, in our being, that we think, in a way, we don't see the contact. And to me, this is one of the things about meditation, to see there is contact before the thought was not there and then the thought as a reason. And so we come in contact with this thought. What do we do with that thought? Do we grasp at it? And by grasping at it, really exaggerating it? Because if suddenly in your mind you have the thought, this is hopeless. Actually, if you grasp at this, this is hopeless. Everything is hopeless. Everything is meaningless. There is no hope in life. And you become really, generally very depressed. Very kind of, and I would say paralyzed. 
I think this is very important to see that by grasping at the thought, we exaggerate and we proliferate. And I would say meditation actually is to be with thought in a different way. It doesn't mean we don't have thought. They appear. But I would say that meditation is a lightening up, making the thought lighter. So they arise, but there is so because you don't exaggerate and you don't proliferate with them, they just arise and they go. They arise and they go. And then you have the choice. You can decide to think. What I would call do meditative creative thinking. But then your thinking will be different. It won't be just repetition. Because of a lot of the time, our thinking is very repetitive. Because we have contact with the thought, we grasp at it, and what do we do with that? We just repeat it, and repeat it, and repeat it. And you might have noticed, you have been two days sitting here, and who knows, you might have a kind of a certain planning thought for the hundredth time. And do you need to have it a hundred, fifty times? Or can you just, okay, planning, let it be. Maybe I don't need to plan in this moment. I can see the planning and the creative engagement is to see, I don't need to do this planning now. Or if you want to creatively engage with your thought, you take it up, but you try to think differently about it. To me, this is, you know, if you have really something on your mind, (coughs) something possibly which is difficult in your life, to look, to, to see that, to think about it, to focus on it once a day, for I would say 30 minutes, but to try to think differently about it. Can I think something about this I have never thought before? How would somebody else think about this? Instead of just repeating, because often what we do, in a way we think we think, but a lot of the time what we do is we repeat what we've thought before. But I would say if we creatively engage with our thought, actually we can have. Amazing thought, really creative thought. And that's what I find when I am um, writing. I just have to think a little about something, and then I let it be. And then I sit down, and just as I write, things just, they just kind of, in a way, kind of create themselves, nearly, you could say. Because I don't have anything prepared, I don't kind of, you know, think... I just kind of, in a way, go with it and see what happens. Where does it lead me? And so, in a way, in a creative engagement, I think there is more of that openness. There is more of that possibility to move. I wanted to talk about uh, self, but I don't have much time. But just a little, to look in terms of arising and seizing and in terms of no-self and grasping, to see that a lot of the time what we do is that we grasp at one of the conditions that form us. Instead of seeing the whole array of conditions that forms us, often we grasp at just one bit of the experience. So you have all these conditions arising, But because we grasp just as one, then we can not see, in a way, the multidimensionality of our being. And as soon as we grasp just at one condition, then we actually, again, exaggerate or proliferate. So, for example, we might might grasp at just a thought, a word which is in our mind. I should be that way. They must do this. Interesting. When you grasp at this, I must, I have to, I should. How generally, again, there is tension. Because there is, again, exaggeration. And in a way to play with that creative engagement, with what we call our inner language, is to see, can I change my inner language? Can I make it less tense? Can I make it less tight? And again, with more openness, more flexibility. Or again, as I said, we might just, in a way, reduce ourselves to just one thought. For example, you might think, 
you might have done something stupid. And instead of thinking this was a silly thing to do, I made a mistake. You start to think, I am stupid. I am always stupid. This is generally the way it goes. I cannot do anything right. And then you feel really stuck. Instead of saying, oh yes, you know, this was not a good idea. What was my mistake? What can I do instead? What can I learn from making this mistake? Or sometimes we, in a way, grasp, reduce ourselves to one emotion. You might reduce yourself to fear. When one is very afraid. That was it. very interesting for me because I used to be very afraid of the dark. And then one day I asked my teacher, Master Kuzan in Korea, what can I do? I'm so afraid of the dark at night. And he said, just ask your question. In Korea, you just ask a question. What is this? So that's what I... So I thought first it was like a magic word would protect me for anything bad out there. Until I did it a few times. And what he did, asking what is this, was actually to bring me back to this moment where actually I was so far away from anywhere who would know I was here to come and get me. <laughs> and so, in a way, it's a gift of the present. And I know when we talk about the present, it doesn't mean that we want to solidify the present. We don't want to grasp at the present. We want to creatively engage with the present, but when you're lost in the emotion, actually you go a bit away from the present. Unless you are in a fearful situation, then it is different. But a lot of the time we are afraid for no reason at all. It is in a way just a feeling we kind of grasp at and exaggerate and proliferate with. And also we can grasp at just a physical attribute. I am tall. I am small. I mean, some people are tall, some people are small. I am small. And I could grasp at the fact that I am small. But in my family, I am the tallest. <laughs> so I don't think I am small. Only when I'm next to somebody small and I think tall and I think, oh yes, you know, I'm a bit short. Maybe they could get me this up there. So in a way to see, do I? You know, we grasp at one physical attribute. And then actually through that exaggerated, maybe one's face, one nose, one hair, or whatever it is, to see that as soon as we grasp at something, we reduce our potential to be creatively engaged with it in that moment. Or we might grasp at a quality. I am a good person, I am a bad person. This is very important to see. The goodness and the badness is not intrinsic to anybody. As the Buddha says, it arises upon condition, it sees upon other condition. Of course you might be, have more of a tendency to be a good person or a bad one. But it doesn't mean that you will always be good or always be bad. I remember in the time when Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister. Someone once, we were in a group of people talking and this is what's happening when we are in America too nowadays. And somebody said, Margaret Thatcher, she's evil. And I could not accept that. I, could, I thought, well, you know, maybe she had, you know, destructive idea, but she's not evil. Like the whole thing about her was not evil. Nobody can just be evil or good or saintly. Again, it arises. That's what the Buddha was trying to tell us. It arises upon condition, dissolve upon other condition. And so, in a way, to be careful to grasp at any one quality in ourselves. But how can we creatively engage with our good quality or our destructive negative quality? And so, in a way, with this creative engagement, to see that I think it is an exploration. You know, I think the grasping is not that, you know, I'm not going to stop grasping. I think there is a whole range of 
certain things we grasp more, certain things we grasp less. Sometimes we feel, when you feel very peaceful, very happy, it's very easy not to grasp. When you feel very unhappy, very tired, it will be easier to grasp. I think it's, again, to see the grasping, again, depends often on the condition. So in a way, to, to see how, how can I, during this retreat, creatively engage with whatever I come into contact with, with all the conditions that forms me. And through that creative engagement, that playing with it, playing with the grasping of it, the creative engagement, in a way, experiencing the difference. What I would call this being tight, being kind of reduced to being stable, being open. And I remember long ago, what I would call my early career as a teacher. I, um, we were in America, in uh, California, and uh, Jack Confield had just given a talk, and very kindly he let us kind of talk a little about a weekend we were going to do. And it was the first time I'd been in front of so many people. It was, it was Jack, so there was about at least 300 people for an evening talk. And I was sitting there, and I was supposed to say something, and I could not say a word whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and then Stephen had to take over, of course. And why was I unable to say a word? Because I was grasping at 300 people. I have never talked in front of 300 people. So I grasped at that number, I exaggerated it, I proliferated with it, and I was paralyzed. I couldn't say anything. And then the thing happened, and then I left. And then I thought, this is very, this is not good. But this is not good for women. I was not a good example here. I let the women's side down. <laughs> and I thought, I cannot do this again. I thought this, I cannot do this again. And it was interesting, this creative engagement, because I thought, okay, now I won't do this again. Basically because I saw you know, how I had grasped and how it had blocked me. And in a way, I decided I won't do this again. So sometimes we think that non-grasping is very difficult. Sometimes I would say it is not. Because that day, I really thought, I'm not going to do this. No matter what happened, I will say something, however many people there will be. And then two days later, after I made this decision, uh, a friend of mine said, oh, we, somebody cannot come, they're ill, can you replace her? This is for a big conference in California, you're going to speak in front of 600 people, can you do it? <laughs> I said, of course! <laughs> and I went, and I did my spiel, and it went fine, you know? And when I came out, I said to my friend, oh, by the way, I never did this before. And I could see for one second, he said, I... You know, if she had not been able, it would have been awful. And then the guy, oh, at least she was okay. But to me, it was interesting, just sad, to see that by the grasping, you totally reduce your potential. And with the creative engagement, then things just, in a way, happen on their own. We can, in a way, open up to our potential. So that's what I wanted to say today. Are there any... Questions or comments? Um, could you have been grasping to the idea that you wouldn't do that again? Or? Well, again, no, no, this is, you know, this is a good question. But you see, to me, this is a difference with grasping and creative engagement. Grasping would make me tense. So, you know, grasping, if I grasp at the idea, I must all, you know, I must be able to say something, no matter what. But in a way, it must be good or whatever. Generally, you grasp at some aspect of it. But personally, the way I see it now is I see what happened. 
you know, I will prepare a bit and then I will see what happens. Because generally what I found is that if I prepare a bit and then I just come, then it can happen. But of course if I grasp at the idea, I must do it in this way, then yes. Like if, if, for example, if I had this idea, I must be able to talk like Stephen. Then this would be a bad idea. Well, I really have a different style. You know, and I could never have this memory. I could never remember lists or, you know, kind of remember all kinds of things. I can't. I don't have that kind of memory. I don't have a, this kind of philosophical thinking. But if I want to, yeah, if I wanted to give a philosophical discourse, then, you know, I think it would be a very bad idea. I could try. But, you see, so to me, in a way, yes, one could grasp, but generally to see what would be the difference. And that's what I want you to explore. What is the difference? How can I know the difference between grasping, that it be at a good thing or a bad thing, and being creatively engaged with it? And to me, the difference would be in this tension, in the tension and in the reduction, I would say. And the creative engagement in this, what I would call, this openness, this kind of Often you will say something you've never thought before. And often that's my experience sometimes. I, I give a talk and suddenly I have an idea I have never had before. And then I, I just say it and then I say, oh yeah, this is a good idea. And then I use it again later on. And, and, and so, so that's what the difference I would see. But yes, I could see. It's, it's a fine line. It, it kind of wants us to kind of play with it this kind of grasping and this creative engagement. Yes? It's really the same, about the same subject. In the, have you got practical advice about how to address situations which really do hold a lot of fear? Or, you know, public speaking is a good example if you have, like, performance anxiety. And, and, I, and I think the temptation is, as, as you and the lady said, is that if you want to change, you try and force yourself to change and, and it becomes another form of grasping. And the difficulty is trying to relax around those thoughts. That's a very difficult thing to do and I wondered if you had some advice. Well, I think the first thing, when there is difficulty of that nature, when there is fear, the first thing to see is what do I tell myself? Is it a fear because somebody is standing there with a gun and yes, I would say that's fair enough to, to be afraid. I mean, once we were with, uh, in South Africa and there was a herd of buffaloes, you know, and the, they looked a little dangerous. And we were a little afraid. And I think this is fair enough to be afraid there. <laughs> but if that's what the first thing is to see. When there is a fear, is it what I would call a reasonable fear? Is it because something at this moment is dangerous, is frightening, is threatening? If it is, then one act accordingly. But if there is nothing threatening, then what is very important, for example, like for <coughs> public speaking, is to say, what am I telling myself to make myself afraid of it? Because often we tell ourselves, I must be a good speaker. Or I must speak as well as that person. Or I will never be able to express this in the way I want it to be. First, we have to be careful with comparison with other people. And secondly, comparison with an idea we have. And to me, that's what I, I meant by double vision. The ideal speaker, the ideal person. And in a way to go back from other person, ideal person, and back to, in a way, creatively engage with, if I have to speak, what is it that I can reasonably talk about? How can I reasonably prepare before doing it? And can I also not grasp at the result? And to me, that's why I'm relatively relaxed when I give a talk, because I think, okay, if I give a terrible talk, so be it. You know, this, I don't think it will be the end of the world. Because it's only 45 minutes, and the rest of the time you can meditate. <laughs> it's not like, you know, I am talking all the time. 
You see, what it, it's kind of, of course, then you could say, well, I have to make a presentation in order maybe to sell your project or to sell yourself. But again, if you, oh, it will be terrible, that generally blocks you. At the same time, if you think, well, it doesn't matter, sometimes that doesn't work either. So personally, I would say, what are your conditions? To have a certain level of preparation, to have a certain level of being careful with what you tell yourself about. I can never do this. Try it out. And sometimes people are so shy, they cannot do it. So then I would say they have to try on one person, just for five minutes. In a way, one has to, that's what I mean by creative engagement. It's from creative engagement you have a creative response. You engage with the present situation. You play with it. Of course, you could have had a bad experience. So how can you play with it? How can you look inside yourself, outside? How can you play with the different elements and not reduce yourself to just one of the elements? That would be what I would say creative engagement, is that you don't just reduce yourself to one of the elements. We have many different capacities, many different abilities, but we're not all the same. So we have to see, how can I do this? How can I work this out? What would be the least I could do? Instead of thinking, okay, now I'm going to give a two hours talk on emptiness. You know? But maybe one could say a few... Ten minutes on meditation on the breath. Or whatever it might be. I think again to see. What? Again back to the middle way. So that's what I would say to that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.